freedom, man. That's what it's all about. Consciousness, mind control, natural law, the occult, and all issues that affect the freedom of the people of Earth. What on Earth is happening will endeavor to shine light upon the darkness of our world and to offer empowering solutions to the problems we face as humanity approaches its critical moment of choice. And now, here is your host. Mark Passio. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. The websites are whatonearthishappening.com and revolutionbroadcasting.com. The show is live every Tuesday night, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Well, what we're going to do today is uh, we're going to get into some event announcements, and then I'm going to recap a little bit about the End the Fed rally and march that was held in Philadelphia this past weekend, Saturday, April 24th. Let me give the call-in number in case anyone wants to call in this evening. You're welcome to do so at any time. Hold on the line. I will get to you. The call-in number for the program is 347-884-9417. That's 347-884-9417. So I think uh, I'll start out with an event announcement for a great conference that is coming up in Philadelphia this summer. And uh, I think a lot of people don't understand quite so much about just how much this relates to human freedom. Because when you can control energy resources, reserves, and supplies, you can control human beings. The control of energy is the control of people. And there was a brilliant, brilliant genius that lived at the turn of the 20th century. His name was Nikola Tesla. And the work that he did in the field of electric, electricity and electrical engineering was just absolutely amazing. He brought alternating current into all of our homes Without him, you would have no power for any of the electrical devices that you use brought to your home. Tesla did more than that. He, he, wanted, he looked at the alternating current system of generation and distribution as just a stepping stone to what he really 
had planned uh, to do with much more advanced technologies that he was working on in the field of wireless power transmission. And Tesla had plans to basically create wireless transfer of industrial strength power throughout the world. In other words, free wireless electricity brought cleanly, produced and, and distributed cleanly all around the earth. Many people don't know that still to this day, almost 40% of people in the world do not have any electrical power in the regions where they live. We take a lot of what we have for granted. So there's an event coming up in Philadelphia this summer, and I think everybody who's listening in this area should get out to this event and help support this great organization. So I'll read the press release. The Tesla Science Foundation brings together scientists, inventors, and enthusiasts for a three-day conference highlighting the need for a new energy paradigm. This is going to be called the Nikola Tesla Energy Independence Celebrations. And it's going to be held July 9th, 10th, and 11th in Philadelphia. This July in Philadelphia, the Tesla Science Foundation will be hosting a three-day conference and celebration to commemorate Nikola Tesla's legacy and world vision. Tesla was a brilliant inventor who lived during the turn of the 20th century. His innovations resulted in the implementation of alternating current, the AC motor, wireless technology, and many other influential inventions that we now take for granted in the modern age. Tesla's vision to bring clean, free energy to the world through advanced wireless technologies was blocked by the financial and corporate interests of his time. Through this event, the Tesla Science Foundation will bring together like-minded scientists, inventors, and enthusiasts who share the common goal of bringing Tesla's advanced energy technologies to fruition for the betterment of humanity. So here is the, uh, the finalized schedule of events. Uh, there are actually a couple of changes since the last time I read these on the air. July 9th, from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., uh, they're going to be holding a, a birthday celebration for Tesla. He was born on midnight between the 9th and 10th. So from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., they're having a Tesla birthday bash. This is going to be held on the lawn at Independence Visitor Center. That's at 6th and Market Streets in Philadelphia, Independence Mall National Park. What they're going to have there is a bunch of Tesla coils. And they're going to have um, uh, you know, a, a party-style celebration, and then they're going to fire off uh, all the Tesla coils that uh, different Tesla enthusiasts will be bringing uh, at midnight to celebrate Tesla's birthday. Now, the next day of the conference, there are multiple events, and it's kind of billed as a three-ring circus. There's going to be some form of activity for every level of interest is kind of how it's being billed. So for, you know, just the general public that might not know uh, too much about Tesla and might just want some information or to, to uh, learn a little bit more about who he is, pick up some some uh, pamphlets and whatnot, and uh, to see some uh, 
some in inventions that have to do with uh, Tesla and his technology outdoors at the same location that the birthday celebration is being held the night before at the Independence Visitor Center. There's going to be exhibits, information, and music. This is the next day, July 10th, from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. So that's at the Independence Visitor Center, 6th and Market Street. You know, so there'll be tables and booths set up there for someone who just wants to learn a little bit. And, you know, for the general public, uh, uh, touring in that area, you get a lot of tourism out uh, in that vicinity, of course. So that's just for, you know, people, again, who aren't actual enthusiasts of yet and may just want a little bit of information. Uh, they will have uh, exhibits and, and uh, vendors on the lawn at Independence Visitor Center July 10th from 10 to 5. Now, for the Tesla enthusiast or someone who may be looking more deeply into uh, the applications of his technologies and free energy in general, there's going to be lectures at the Free Library of Philadelphia, presentations and lectures. The Free Library is at 1901 Vine Street, and these will be held on the same day, July 10th, from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. I'm actually going to be emceeing the event myself, so I will be introducing all of the great speakers at the library. So the third event is for people who are more scientifically inclined, scientists, inventors. That's going to be July 10th, and that's going to be at 2 Liberty Place on the 32nd floor. 2 Liberty Place is at 1601 Chestnut Street in Philadelphia, and this is the scientific conference. So that's the real meat and potatoes as far as the actual technology uh, is concerned for people who really want to get involved with helping this organization to advance the theories and technologies that Tesla was working on. Now the night of the 10th, so the same night, this is all on the same day, July 10th, that's Saturday night, July 10th, from 6 p.m. to 11 p.m., this all just pretty much came together and this is the part that was changed. There's going to be a, a, a reception dinner and a concert featuring the Divine Hand Ensemble. Uh, th these guys are uh, an incredible orchestral ensemble and they are centered around uh, an electronic instrument called the theremin. The theremin, if you haven't heard of it or seen it in operation or heard it, uh, check it out. It's T-H-E-R-E-M-I-N, theremin. You could Google that or search engine it and, uh, you know, check out YouTube, different, uh, different people playing theremins. It's a very interesting instrument. It can produce pretty incredible tones. And uh, this orchestra called the Divine Hand, they sent their, uh, their conductor. Uh, he plays the theremin. He's one of the few concert thereminists in the world, and he's really great, a great guy. His name is Mono Divina. So they will be playing uh, after the dinner celebration. So the reception dinner and the orchestral concert featuring the, the Divine Hand Ensemble this, is, uh, this location is finally set in stone. It's going to be 
from 6 to 11 p.m. at the Arch Street Meeting House, the Arch Street Meeting House. That's at 302 Arch Street, July 10th, 6 to 11 p.m. Uh, pricing will be announced for the, uh, the dinner and concert. Now, uh, for that part of the event, I'd like to send out a special thank you this evening to a good friend of mine, Anthony Michael Falsetta, for being so generous to help the Tesla Science Foundation through just absolutely, completely selfless generosity in donating uh, to, to secure the Arch Street Meeting House for that night. So the Tesla Science Foundation thanks Anthony Michael Falsetta, and I thank him personally as well. Now, the, the final part of the event uh, of this conference will be July 11th, and that will be the continuation of the scientific portion of the event. Uh, the scientific conference at 2 Liberty Place will continue the next day, uh, the same times, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. on July 11th, Sunday. And that's uh, 2 Liberty Place, 32nd floor, 1601 Chestnut Street. So that's the schedule of events for this great conference on Nikola Tesla, his technology, his theories, his philosophies. Uh, for emerging details on this conference, you could check out the website teslasciencefoundation.org. That's teslasciencefoundation.org. Great group of people, and I'm honored to uh, be working with them. So. That's all the event announcements I have for the Philadelphia area right now. So what I want to do now is to, well, I see we have a caller on the line. Let's, uh, let's go to the caller. Hello, caller, you're on the air. This is What on Earth is Happening. How are you? Are you there, caller? Going once. Going twice, okay, sorry about that. Looks like he didn't hang in there with me. Okay, so uh, yeah, if you're gonna call in, just please be patient, hang on the line, I will get to your call. So the next thing I'll do is, I wanna do a recap of the end the Fed march and rally that took place this Saturday in Philadelphia. This went on all over the country at major uh, Fed chapters throughout the country. But I want to recap the one that happened in Philadelphia. And um, I actually became a, a, a deeper part of it at the last minute. I was contacted and asked, asked to speak at the event outside of the Fed building itself that I was actually contacted uh, two days beforehand, so Thursday uh, afternoon, I believe, and I accepted and prepared a speech on Friday and read that outside of the Fed building on Saturday. So um, part of the recap I'm going to do is I'm actually going to read the speech that I gave uh, outside the Fed building so people can hear that and uh, It'll be committed to, uh, to the podcast as well. So I think that 
overall, the event was great. Uh, a lot of really driven, good people turned out. I want to thank Mike Salvi for, personally for helping to organize it. He did a great job. Um, all of the other speakers were wonderful. Michael Badnarik, um, Gigi Bowman. Uh, the bands that played were great. You had uh, Amy Allen, Jordan Page, Amp Killer, and others. It, it was a overall a great event. But what I what I think I'll remember the most about this is that um, we really I think reached a lot of people on the street this time. Uh, we were prepared with a lot of information, with a lot of flyers, and as we went down Market Street. We had so many people giving out flyers. I think everyone on the entire march route got some great information about why this organization isn't in their best interests. And um, that's really important because not everybody does have this information. People in the freedom movement and in the uh, alternative news communities cannot make the mistake that because they understand certain things that you know, everybody is on the same page because, of course, that certainly is not the case. And uh, I think we just really have to keep hammering away at getting information, getting good information into uh, people's hands who just simply are unaware how these things affect their lives at a very fundamental level. So with that in mind, I think I'll I'll go into uh, the speech that I read outside of the Fed building. And this was kind of my part in trying to alert people not only about what kind of consciousness really drives an institution like the Federal Reserve, but how people in general, through their failings, through their weaknesses, feed institutions like this through giving it their support, through not speaking up about why it's wrong, for not learning enough about why an institution like that doesn't serve the betterment of humanity. So here's the speech, and then if anybody wants to comment, please call in and do so, and uh, talk about anything else that I've spoken about previously or anything you want to mention. Uh, I have planned after this to go into uh, some more conceptual ideas that I kind of uh, center on in my presentation. Uh, tonight, I'll, I'll recap a little bit about what we did last week after this, and then I'll go into uh, some new topics. So here is the speech I read outside at the Federal Reserve Building this past Saturday during the End the Fed March and Rally in Philadelphia. I'd like to thank all of you for being here today, and I'd also like to thank each of you for taking the time to stand together, united in the spirit of courage, to defend liberty by shining light upon the corrupt and immoral activities of an institution that lies at the very core of, of the destruction of our natural rights and freedoms. I commend and respect each of you for your courage and commitment to such a noble cause. The great teacher and philosopher Vernon Howard once said, human sickness 
is so severe that few can bear to look at it, but those who do look at it will become well. With this in mind, let us now bravely take a look at the sickness. They are aggressive and callous and show an abnormal lack of conscience and empathy. They are cunning and extremely adept at manipulating others. They engage in strongly amoral, often criminal conduct. They take what they want and do as they please. They possess a deceptive ability to appear outwardly benevolent and can behave in superficially charming ways to hide their purely selfish motives. They use intimidation and, if necessary, violence to control others and to satisfy their own needs. They are willing to intentionally violate the basic inherent human rights of others. They do not experience or express any sense of guilt or remorse for the harm their actions have caused to others, but instead they rationalize their behavior, blame someone else, or deny it outright. They view the feelings and desires of their fellow beings with utter contemptuousness. They lie pathologically and are willing to say anything without any concern for accuracy or truth in order to advance their own hidden agendas. They have a severely distorted sense of the consequences of their own actions. They display a total failure to accept any responsibility for their own parasitic, socially irresponsible ways. Because of their utter contempt for their fellow human beings, they believe that they will never be brought to justice for their criminal behavior. They have been described by many as predators of their own species, for they lack the very qualities that allow human beings to live in social harmony. What I just read does indeed perfectly describe the characteristics, attitudes, and behaviors of the owners and directors of this privately owned central banking cartel that we call the Federal Reserve System. However, what I just read to you was not originally written to describe the Federal Reserve specifically. It was a list comprised by modern clinical psychologists to describe the pathological mental condition known as psychopathy. In other words, it was a list of the personality traits of psychopaths. The condition of, of psychopathy is at the very root of the crisis in which the human species finds itself in our current times, and it is more prevalent than most of us would prefer to admit. The reason for this is not human nature, as some would mislead you to believe. The reason for this is that psychopathy is not just a psychological disorder. 
it is also a learned behavior and a communicable disease. It is a virus that has infected the collective body of humanity. My own spiritual journey and my personal quest to understand as much as possible about the workings of the human psyche have led me to study this phenomenon in great detail over the course of many years. And today I would like to share with you a few basic insights I've discovered with respect to how psychopaths in general and specifically psychopathic institutions such as the Fed are able to hoodwink the general public and get away with their abusive and immoral behavior almost entirely unchecked. One of the greatest skills of psychopaths is their ability to feign normal human emotions and empathy. This enables them to remain well hidden or occulted in the communities in which they operate. We all know that good works are done in the light of day for all to see. In contrast, the work of psychopaths is always done, and indeed it must be done under the cover of darkness. For once enough light is cast in their direction, enabling people to become wise to their ways, psychopaths always scatter. Psychopaths are extremely adept at manipulating others into thinking that the communities in which they exist could never survive without them, that they somehow perform a vital and necessary service and that if they were ever to be exposed and routed out, that total chaos would result. To reinforce this untrue notion that is based upon fear and dependency, psychopaths will create crises in their own communities. And once a chaotic reaction has been invoked, they then step in to pose as the savior by offering self-serving solutions for the very problems which they initiated. Psychopaths have one overall objective, and that is ultimately to make others feel as fearful, as miserable, and as empty as they do. To that aim, their greatest weapon is the propagation of their own twisted worldview, one that is wholly based in fear, lack, greed, separation, and control. In other words, they fool others into thinking that the only way to get by in life is to be like them, to become like the psychopath. They get us to buy into their mindset and their way of seeing the world and each other. And by any other name that you may wish to call that, I call it what it really is, mind control. And most of us fall for it. 
we become like them when we try to control the actions of others for our own gain. When we worship money, greed, and selfishness. When we remain unread and uneducated in a world of unimaginable wealth of information and information flow. When we refuse to educate ourselves or our young with respect to higher moral paths in life, yet continue to teach our young that monetary wealth is the main indicator of self-worth. When, through our fear and ignorance, some of us are willing to step on the natural inherent rights of other people just because we've been given orders to follow and a paycheck to do it. Or when we are willing to go off to fight in wars that are based in the policies of imperialism, preemptive aggression, and the theft of natural resources from sovereign nation states. It may not be popular, and some of us may not like to hear it, but the truth is that as a whole, we the people of this once free nation are the enablers of the very psychopaths that dominate and control us. Many of us have become totally callous to the usurpation of the natural rights of other human beings, and that is why this silent war of control and aggression against human freedom has been marching forward, largely unopposed. Make no mistake, and do not be deceived about it. The psychopathic institutions at the highest, or should I say the lowest levels of our society, have done a very good job at all of the things they do best. But it doesn't have to be this way. You see, I disagree with most psychologists' conclusions that there is no treatment for the condition of psychopathy. There is a solution. And the solution is each and every one of us who is standing here today. For you see, we are the immune system response for this virus that has infected the minds and hearts of human beings. And we are here to bring healing to the diseased condition of our nation and our world. The prescriptions for healing this sickness are recognition, respect, responsibility, and reconciliation. Recognition means to become aware by searching. Many, many more people need to start learning as much as possible about what the Federal Reserve is and how its activities are currently holding direct influence over their lives. If we remain so ignorant and naive as a people that we cannot even conceive of this institution's psychopathic mentality, we shall collectively remain powerless to defend ourselves 
and our freedom against it. If we can develop the will to look at the sickness, and once it has been recognized, all those who are supporting this monstrous financial and moral deception by agreeing to work for it or with it in any way need to develop true respect. The word respect simply means to look at again. And what these individuals must take a second look at is themselves and what they have willingly allowed themselves to be used for. They must specifically ask themselves and answer honestly the question, am I really doing the right thing? Only self-respect can help us to develop true responsibility, which is our ability to respond in the correct moral ways to any problem that may be facing us. Finally, the word reconciliation simply means to move toward each other again. We must reverse our movement toward separation and come back together right now to create the collective courage to withdraw from the poisonous influence that such psychopathic institutions currently hold over our own minds and our own hearts. And it is that simple. That is how psychopaths and their behaviors are contained by refusing to be like them in any way, by refusing to help them in their callous, selfish aims, no matter what self-serving rewards may be offered, by recognizing that there is a better way to treat each other and to live among each other in truth, in love, and in true freedom. To do this, we must let go of our fear of lack, our fear of losing control, our fear of the unknown, and our fear of the uncharted territory we call the human future. In the final equation, there is no one stopping us but ourselves. In closing, I know that I don't just speak for myself when I say, let's recognize what we must do. Let's respect ourselves and each other. Let's develop true responsibility. Let's reconcile our differences. And together, let us heal the diseased condition of the human spirit, of which the Federal Reserve is merely a symptom. Let's come together once and for all, and let's go for it. Thank you. That was my speech this past Saturday. I gave that at a crowd, for a crowd of about, I would estimate maybe uh, 250 to 300 people outside of the Federal Reserve Building in Philadelphia. And um, 
after that, we went over to uh, the Independence Visitor Center lawn and uh, heard some other great speakers and uh, watched some great musical acts that uh, are really, really uh, doing their part to help wake people up uh, to the uh, elephant in the room, so to speak. So overall, it was a good time. Uh, I think uh, for me, the best part of it was the amount of information that was uh, printed and handed to uh, people on the street. And I'd like to also send a thank you out to uh, the people who really helped um, uh, get that information out there. Um, Barbara Marinelli, uh, Daryl Rollins, uh, Fred Emendorfer, uh, really uh, did a, a big part in, in uh, getting that info printed and, and um, uh, without their help, not as many people would have the information placed into their hands and before their consideration uh, to understand what the Federal Reserve is and why this many people turned out on a Saturday to uh, try to bring awareness uh, to what it is and what it is doing, namely creating the financial crisis that this country and uh, essentially the world are in at this point in time. So that is a pretty decent wrap-up of the and the Fed event. I, I would certainly say that, you know, it could definitely use room for a lot of growth. I mean, considering how long these events have been going on, the numbers seem to stay right around, you know, the same number of considering what we, who we can actually get out there to turn out on any given uh, Saturday or Sunday to these. But for a major city like Philadelphia, we could still do better getting more people out onto the street. But I did see a lot of new faces, so that was, uh, that was pretty encouraging. So that was uh, End the Fed this past weekend. And uh, I will, uh, I guess what I'll do tonight is recap a little bit about what we did over the last couple of weeks and then get into some new uh, conceptual topics. Because what we do here on this show is we try to get down to the root, to the very root causes of human suffering, really. We try to get down to the very root causes, not just talk about the symptoms. We could talk about the symptoms all day, and we could bring up specific symptoms like the Federal Reserve, but until we get down to the root causes, and those root causes lay in the minds and in the hearts, of people. That's where the, the real problem is at. The real problem isn't out there. The real problem is within people. The question needs to be asked, why are we experiencing what we are experiencing? So until we make an honest assessment of the causal factors about how we are fooled, about why we suffer, about why many of us lack the ability to tell truth from falsehood and right from wrong in many cases. We're not really going to make a lot of headway or a lot of dent into the problem and work toward a solution. This program is about solutions, ultimately. 
we can't get to solutions until we understand what's creating the problem to begin with. And to just point fingers at other people and say that person's doing it, that's doing it, well, where, why is the mindset of that individual or that group of, individual, of individuals the way that it is? What were the causal factors that led them to thinking about the world and other people in it and their relationship to others that led them to act, that, that motivated their behaviors in those ways? So that's what we do on this show. And I think a lot more people in this movement have to understand these causal factors. They have to turn their attention toward the root and stop looking at the leaves because, again, you can describe a prison cell all day long. You could describe every detail of the prison cell, but until you're actually putting your mind to the job of actually working on how to get out of that prison cell, you're not going to make any headway or any progress. So we need to understand why we've arrived in the so-called cell that we have arrived in, if we're ever going to get out of it, if we're ever going to move in the opposite direction toward true freedom. We need to know why the human mind and heart have fallen into the diseased condition that they, they have throughout society and throughout, throughout the world. So to that effect, what we've been talking about here on past shows is human consciousness. What are the ways that consciousness manifests itself? We talked about the power of our thoughts, our emotions, and our actions, and how we need to bring them into alignment with each other, such that we become a being that is not in internal contradiction, that as we think, so we feel, and so we act, and nobody can divide us and pull us off course from that. that those three things, they, they, they take thoughts. We need to get our thoughts to a state of intelligence, we need to take our emotions to a state of care. And we need to take, we need to increase our will to act in the proper moral ways in the world. This is how we're going to get out of the mess that we're in. Increasing our awareness, just from an intellectual perspective, of course, but widening our worldview, our scope, you know, to encompass everyone to encompass all people that are suffering, no matter where they are, no matter what race they are, no matter what age they are, no matter what sex they are, no matter what nationality, no matter what country they live in. You know, to say that we just want this solved because we don't want to experience personally the, the negative consequences of something, it, it isn't a good enough reason. We need to widen our perspective and understand that as long as Anybody else in the world is suffering. We are suffering. So the intention has to move toward, if we're going to see any, it doesn't have to, but if we want to see any real change and any real solution brought to bear, we need to change our perspective about suffering in general. And understand, again, as I said, if anybody is suffering, that's us. It isn't, we're not separate. 
And, you know, this, this calls to mind the question, the people who are creating a lot of these crises, psychopaths, what I just talked about in my, in my speech that I read there that I gave at the Fed building, we need to understand their suffering to a, a great degree, maybe even more than a lot of other people are in the world, as difficult as that may be to wrap your head around. Psychopaths can't feel normal human emotion, Not don't want to. They cannot. I mean, imagine, most people can't even imagine that condition, that state, how fearful it would turn your inner being into. You could not actually feel anything. You did not have the raw capability to feel any emotion. Imagine what maybe your mind would be, start to become like. You realize very quickly you're not like other people. The risk of being ostracized as being some kind of a freak or a monster, you know, and then people like that descend really, really deeply into the fear state. And that starts to basically imbalance the brain. One of the things we talked about on this show in past weeks was the human brain, human brain imbalance, the, uh, the attitudes and behaviors that result when the brain hemispheres aren't properly balanced. So, I mean, we have to understand that even the people who seem like the enemy are suffering in many ways more than many people in the world. Okay, I'm not going to say they're suffering the most. They cause a lot of havoc that makes people suffer pretty badly in the world. But we have to ask the, the alchemical question, so to speak. And uh, we'll get into the uh, science of alchemy a little bit later in the program. But the alchemical question is, what ails thee, brother, or what ails thee, sister? And we have to try and make a, a genuine effort to get down to other people's causes of self-inflicted suffering. Why they hurt so much that they then want to go out and take out uh, take out their aggressions on other people and make them suffer. And again, as I said in my speech uh, for the Fed, make other people feel as empty as they do. A, heal a healing, there is an ability to bring healing to this state. If enough people work at it, if enough people actually learn these causal factors, understand what is going on within themselves and in the world around them, and care enough to do that work. That's the main thing, to care enough to get involved and to get over one's fears. A, a lot of fear when it comes to this type of material, particularly with the Federal Reserve. So many people say, oh, I'm willing to, uh, to do this, 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 and this, but when it comes to standing up to an organization like the Fed, I'm backing off. I'm not, I'm not going to be present there because I'm too afraid of what they're capable of. Well, that attitude is not going to really change much because if we're taking actions or even inactions out of fear, good luck. It, you're not going to see any real positive changes take place around you. Again, I thank the people who came out to that event before I really got into the, the, um, the topic of the speech for their courage. That is, above all, what I have utmost respect for the people that come out to an event like and the Fed for. They're displaying true courage, and they're displaying true courage because they care enough to be that courageous, to stand up 
to something that seems impossible to stand up to. But it is not. It is not impossible. The effort needs to be made, and those three centers need to be developed, understanding the problem, caring enough to do something about the problem, and then actually doing it. Okay? Actually doing it is the most important step to take action. And that requires courage. So we, we talked about in the past few weeks the dynamics of love versus fear, the consciousness of love, how this is the force that expands consciousness, and fear, the force that destroys consciousness, a force that limits consciousness. And I'll tell you, a lot of people out there, I would, I, on Independence Mall, I would try to hand people a flyer to say, hey, check it out. Look at, what, look at what's uh, causing a lot of crises, crises and, uh, and um, you know, resulting in uh, all kinds of suffering in our communities financially. Some people would say, oh, I'm, I'm so fearful of that. I'm so afraid of what they could do and that I might be on camera, I might be being filmed, that they didn't even want to take a flyer from your hand can't live your life in fear like that folks it's uh again it's not going to be conducive to solving any problems that we may have so again i thank everyone for their courage because that really is the bottom line when it comes to reversing some of the damage that has been done to the human heart and to our world in general so coming out of that fear state is what consciousness is all about. Love is the force that expands consciousness. Fear puts consciousness in its grave. That's all we really have to remember. So we looked at the internal and external expressions of those forces, those basic polarities. We looked at the internal force of love being sovereignty or dominion over oneself, in other words, self-control, having control of one's thoughts, one's emotions, and one's actions, and bringing them into alignment, bringing them into harmony, so that we're not in internal opposition. We looked at the internal force of fear as being a confusion, not understanding what's going on within oneself, not being in control of one's own thoughts, emotions, and actions being able to be manipulated and led. And then the external states that result from those conditions. If love and dominion or sovereignty are present, you have freedom in the external world. But again, they always follow the internal qualities. That state is a resultant condition of the qualities that are, that are actively being represented within the individual, actively taking place and, and, and are present within the individual, then you see the external state result in the outside world. So when love is present, internal control of one's self results. You have what's called sovereignty. A person understands they are the owner and ruler of their own kingdom, the self. Nothing outside of that. Doesn't mean controlling anybody else. It means you own yourself, truly. You've mastered yourself. And when that's present, that's when freedom will result in the external reality. When fear runs rampant, within the self, there's confusion. Someone doesn't really know themselves. They don't really have control 
over their own thoughts, emotions, and actions. They can be torn apart within, and they can be led externally. And when that happens, in the outside world, you have control. And ultimately, when that runs rampant, you get slavery. So understanding the dynamics of those two basic polarities, love and fear, helps you to understand why we're experiencing what we are experiencing. Last week, we, uh, we talked a lot about worldviews and what they create. We talked a lot about the differing worldviews of different forms of brain imbalance. Left brain imbalanced worldview is a worldview that is stuck on the concept of randomness, that the universe is a cosmic accident, that there's no underlying intelligence in nature and there's no such thing as natural law when it comes to behaviors, when it comes to what we do to others. In other words, there's no such thing as karma. There's no such thing as a law of attraction, that what we do to others, we must experience. It's the idea that existence really has no higher purpose. These are the hallmarks of atheistic mentality and scientism, of left brain, old scientism. So I, I called the, the dichotomy between the two worldviews the worldview schism with the left brain imbalance representing the worldview of randomness and the right brain imbalance representing the worldview called determinism. Determinism is the exact opposite. It's a very right brain imbalanced way of seeing the world that God controls everything and every event in creation. All occurrences are preordained. We don't really have free will. There's no point in taking any action because since everything is written by God, nothing can ultimately be changed. And these are the hallmarks of religious extremism. Both of these worldviews are extremely imbalanced, and I would suggest neither of them are true. The truth lies in between in a combination or a synthesis of these two extremities or of these two extreme states of imbalance. And I described the condition that we really need to understand is a combination of natural law and free will. Natural law being the deterministic component of creation and free will being the random component because that, that's what governs our choices. We have choices. We are allowed to make them freely, even if we make them incorrectly, or I should say in ways that lead to more suffering, okay, that are against our stated goals of where we want to go. We're still allowed to do that. I don't think it's a wise choice to do that. I think we should strive to understand the, the deterministic reality of the universe, the, the components of the universe that are deterministic. I call that natural law, as many other scholars and philosophers have in the past. We need to understand what natural law is and what we create through our free will decisions when we either come into alignment with natural law or when we choose to ignore it. And we're in the condition that we're in collectively as a species because most of us choose to ignore natural law principles. We don't really understand how it works, and we're not really motivated much to learning how they work. Again, I've said in the past, if people 
um, would, were to be asked to write down what they really value most in life, how many of them at the top of the list would place the word truth? How many do you know that would place the word truth at the top of a list of things they actually value in life? I'll bet you can count the number on one hand. And that's, again, that's why we're in the situation that we're in. In the next uh, hour, I'll, I'll continue to flesh some of this out. I'm going to talk about a couple of concepts. We're going to get into the difference between two concepts that a lot of people think are fictional. However, they're very real. This is the concept of magic and the concept of sorcery. Now, as soon as that's, those words are said, immediately I know what's going off on, in most people's minds is science fiction movies or fantasy movies, okay? And that's by design. That is how many people want people to understand those concepts or to solely think of them in light of Hollywood, okay? Fantasy, fiction. I assure you that these forces, these um, concepts, if you will, are very real. They are very much at work in our lives, and we're going to flesh them out in the next hour. Uh, if we have time after going through the concepts of magic and sorcery, I'll talk a little bit about what many people have called self-realization and why there are so few people that are self-realized that really do understand themselves, that do understand how their own psyche works. And uh, we'll look at the barriers to that condition. We'll look at the barriers to self-realization. What are the, the mental states and the attachments in people's minds that hold them back from their higher um, potential, the barriers to self-realization? So uh, let me give the call-in number again, okay? The website is whatonearthishappening.com. And uh, the network that carries this program is revolutionbroadcasting.com. And the call-in number for the program, you can call in at any time, is 347-884-9417. Again, the call-in number is 347-884-9417. If you want to discuss any of these topics, feel free to give a call. Please be patient. I, I I glance at the switchboard every now and again while I'm going through different concepts, and I will get to your question. Uh, please, if you do call in, just hang on, and I'll I'll get to the I'll get to you. Okay. So let's uh, let's start with the concept of magic. Okay. This is going to be the basic topic for the next hour. Magic is. The definition for magic is the science and art of influencing change to occur in accordance with the will. The science and art of influencing change to occur in accordance with the will. Now, a lot, a lot was said there. Magic is a science. Now, most people would think the exact opposite, that it's fantasy, that it's not rooted in anything natural. In the natural world, it's, most people, when they think of magic, they think of the supernatural. Okay? 
magical powers, a magician who can do illusions, who can, who can uh, do things that the ordinary person cannot do, and because they're connected in with some supernatural capability. Well, magic is a lot more than that, and it's a lot simpler than that. We're going to flesh this out in the next, in the next hour. So that's, that's all for hour number one. I'm going to play the intro music for the uh, second portion of the show. Be right back, and we'll continue to flesh out the concept of magic and sorcery. Freedom, man. That's what it's all about. You've got to groove on freedom like the good book says. listening to What on Earth is Happening. This show will discuss the topics of human consciousness, mind control, natural law, the occult, and all issues that affect the freedom of the people of Earth. What on Earth is Happening will endeavor to shine light upon the darkness of our world and to offer empowering solutions to the problems we face as humanity approaches its critical moment of choice. And now, here is your host, Mark Passio. All right, welcome back, everyone. This is What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. In the uh, first hour of the program, we, uh, we, I recapped the End the Fed event. I made an announcement, which I'm going to repeat in this hour, about the Nikola Tesla um, conference that is coming up in Philadelphia on July 9th, 10th, and 11th in Philadelphia. And um, I started getting into uh, doing a recap of some past shows and um, starting to talk about um, the concepts of magic versus sorcery and how they're very real forces that are at work in our lives. And we'll continue to flesh out those topics uh, a little bit later in the show. I want to give the uh, websites again and the call-in number. My website is whatonearthishappening.com. The network's website is revolutionbroadcasting.com and a call-in number for this program if anybody wants to call in and discuss the uh, ideas that we talk about here is 347-884-9417. That's 347-884-9417. So the uh, bottom of the last hour we were talking about uh, again magic and what that actually is, how it's a science, and it's an, uh, an art for influence, to actually influence others, and influence not only others, but influence oneself for change. That's what it basically is, the influence to create change. And it is a science, it is an art form, 
and we're going to be talking about that later this hour. I just want to repeat uh, for those listening in on Revolution Broadcasting on Thursday evenings to the second hour of the program, the uh, announcement about the Tesla conference that is coming up in July in Philadelphia. The Tesla Science Foundation brings together scientists, inventors, and enthusiasts for a three-day conference highlighting the need for a new energy paradigm. This July in Philadelphia, the Tesla Science Foundation will be hosting a three-day conference and celebration to commemorate Nikola Tesla's legacy and world vision. Tesla was a brilliant inventor who lived during the turn of the 20th century. His innovations resulted in the implementation of alternating current, the AC motor, wireless technology, and many other influential inventions that we now take for granted in the modern age. Tesla's vision to bring clean, free energy to the world through advanced wireless technologies was blocked by the financial and corporate interests of his time. Through this event, the Tesla Science Foundation will be bringing together like-minded scientists, inventors, and enthusiasts who share the common goal of bringing Tesla's advanced energy technologies to fruition for the betterment of humanity. Here's the schedule of events for this great conference that I'm very thrilled to be a part of. July 9th, they're going to have a big Tesla birthday bash on the lawn at the Independence Visitor Center in Independence Mall National Park, 6th and Market Streets in Philadelphia from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. And they're going to have Tesla coils on display there, and they're going to fire those Tesla coils at midnight to celebrate Tesla's birthday. Tesla was born on midnight uh, b between July 9th and 10th, 1856. The next day is going to be, there's going to be multiple events. There's four events on the next day. Three of them are, are actually occurring at the same time frame. So this is done deliberately as kind of like a three-ring circus, so to speak. Um, it's done to create a level of involvement for all levels of interest, okay? So people who don't know a lot about Tesla, who may just want to get some information, talk to some people, um, you know, they'll have some pamphlets and handouts to give out on who he was. Um, there'll be some music, uh, you know, and just general fun. It, it'll be out on the lawn at the same location as the birthday party the night before at the Independence Visitor Center, 6th and Market Street. And this will be going on. It'll just be an outdoor event, and it'll be going on between 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. on July 10th. That's Saturday, July 10th. So, um the next event is geared toward enthusiasts, people who know a little bit about Tesla, perhaps have read uh, a, a book or two on him, who want uh, some more hardcore information and to hear uh, some presentations and lectures about Tesla and his technologies. Uh, this is going to be at the Free Library of Philadelphia, the main branch of the Free Library at 1901 Vine Street. And that's going to be 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., Saturday, July 10th. I'm actually uh, emceeing that event, introducing all the uh, presenters and lecturers. 
So that should be a really great time at the Free Library. Hopefully, uh, we'll have a whole lot of people there for that. Then there's a, a scientific portion of the conference, and this is where the actual scientists and inventors are going to meet, and they're going to have a technically inclined conference. This isn't really for laymen. This is for people who are either scientists or inventors, and this is the same day, Saturday, July 10th, from 10 o'clock a.m. to 5 p.m. This will be taking place at 2 Liberty Place. That's at 1601 Chestnut Street on the 32nd floor. The next day will be the wind-up of it. It will be the, um, I'm sorry, before I get to that, there will be a reception dinner the, the night of Saturday, July 10th, from 6 p.m. to 11 p.m., uh, a dinner and concert. Pricing is still to be announced, but uh, this week we finally secured the, the final location for the, the reception dinner and the concert. It's going to be at the Arch Street Meeting House, the Arch Street Meeting House at 302 Arch Street. 6 p.m. to 11 p.m. Saturday night, July 10th, and the the orchestra that will be playing is called the Divine Hand. Just an incredible ensemble. Um, if you haven't heard of or seen the theremin instrument, uh, I'll give their website. The Divine Hand is the um, orchestral ensemble that will be playing at this reception dinner, and their website is divinehand.net, divinehand.net. I really encourage people to check them out. They're, they're a great orchestra, and the theremin instrument is just amazing, and the tones that it produces is, are, are just absolutely incredible. It has to be heard to, to be understood and appreciated. So check them out at divinehand.net. They'll be playing as part of the Tesla, Nikola Tesla Energy Independence Celebrations 2010 on Saturday, July 10th at the Arch Street Meeting House, 302 Arch Street, 6 to 11 p.m. Now, the final part of the conference is a, a continuation of the scientific portion, the scientific lectures that will be at 2 Liberty Place, 32nd floor, that's at 1601 Chestnut Street, and that will be Sunday, July 11th, from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. So the scientific conference is uh, a two-day event that is geared toward the scientists and inventors, and um, that is both days from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. at 2 Liberty Place. So for more info about this event, you can go to teslasciencefoundation.org. That's teslasciencefoundation.org. These are just great people, and again, I'm, I'm really thrilled to be working with them to help organize this conference, and I'm uh, thrilled to be um, emceeing the event there at the Free Library on Saturday. So that's that, and um, I think for the remainder of the show, unless we get any callers, I'm going to continue to flesh out the concepts of magic and sorcery, because this is critical to understand the types of influences that are really taking place around us in the world. And we have to get our minds out of the notion that these are 
fictional concepts. They are not fictional concepts. I assure you they are not fictional concepts. See, people who are very trapped in left brain ways of thinking, when you bring up a word that they've already assigned and attached a meaning to, and that's just, that's what it is. I understand what that is already, and I'm not changing that. I'm not looking any further into that. I'm not going to accept an, an alternative explanation that differs from my concept of what I think those things are. People have heard these words before, of course, and they have a formulated idea of what they mean in the world to them. I really suggest trying, if, if you, you find yourself in that position, attempting to lay aside the pre-formulated definition that you have and simply listen to the definition that I'm suggesting and the way I'm using these words to describe the concepts that I'm talking about. So when I say magic, here's the definition that I use for it. It is the science and art of influencing change to occur in accordance with the will. The science and art of influencing change to occur in accordance with the will. So it's a science. There are established methodologies that are repeatable. Okay? There are established repeatable methodologies that work and therefore this is actually considered a science. Okay? It is an art form because not everyone is as adept at it as others. There are subtleties to it. There are, if you are practiced in it, you will become better at it. So that's what an art is. You practice an art. Not everyone has the same raw capability when it comes to it. However, capability can be honed and developed if you put enough work in or practice. So magic is both a science and an art. And what it is attempting is to influence change Okay, influence change to occur. So notice it's not saying that it's actually making the change occur. It's only influencing the change. It isn't actually doing it itself. Only influencing it. That's critical. Influencing change to occur in accordance with the will. Now that's the biggest part of the definition of magic actually because I'm going to give the definition of sorcery next and you'll understand how similar they are but what I'll say about the definition of sorcery is it is in fact the exact opposite of the definition of magic so the definition I'm going to give for sorcery is this. Sorcery is the science and art of influencing change to occur in accordance with the will. Now, 
anybody listening will say, well, that's the exact definition that you gave for magic. And how could you say it's the exact opposite definition? Well, the subtlety comes in when you look at the word will and what is meant by the word will. I distinguish this when I write this definition out or when I show it in a presentation or a slideshow by placing a capital W at the beginning of the word will when it is used in reference to the science and art of magic. However, with sorcery, the will is lowercase w. And this is just a, a, a nuance to help highlight the differences in the term, which really completely changes the meaning that is given for the concept. So when I'm talking about magic, and I'm talking about influencing a change to occur in accordance with the will, I don't mean the self-centered will of the practitioner of this science and art. That is not what is being talked about there. It's a higher will. It is a, a will that whole volumes have been written on, whole philosophies in occultism have basically um, surrounded. So this is a very, the, the concept of will in general is a very deep topic. I'm, I'm not simply referring to a person's will to do something, is what you have to keep in mind here with the definition of magic, the science and art of influencing change to occur in accordance with the will. This is essentially could be used interchangeably. The word will here could be used interchangeably with natural law principles, with the understanding of how creation actually works and the understanding that the natural law component of creation is essentially there for our own benefit. It is not there to put us in any kind of a prison or control us. It is there because the creation's will, capital W, will, does not interfere with free will, with our lowercase will, what we choose to do. It is there as a way that if we align ourselves with truth, with what is, with what natural law actually is, that we will not experience self-inflicted suffering. So I can't get, really give you a full non-physical example. Okay? It isn't so easy that, it isn't so simple that if I punch somebody in the face for no reason, I will immediately experience that pain. See, if that were the case, if somebody did something that they had no right to do to someone else, like let's say 
attempt to assert their natural right to free speech and then immediately they walk outside of their house and, you know, a tree falls on them. And they kept doing that action over and over again and kept getting, you know, the same result. Maybe they would understand very quickly that those actions are related, that the, the, the effect is following the cause, okay? However, it doesn't really work out that way in the three-dimensional space-time continuum that we live in. There's often a time lag from the time that we take an action and the time when we experience the result of the action. This is because in, in quantum theory, the smaller something is or the less complex it is, the, the quicker you see the effect, like electrons uh, being shot through a double slit in the infamous double slit experiment. If there's a meter on the slit, you immediately see the result change to the electron behaves as a particle. If there is no meter on this double slit, it behaves as a wave. For people who may be familiar with an example like this, look up the double slit experiment. Electrons at the quantum level are a wave function. They're not really a particle that exists yet. It's a potential. When a choice is made about how one wants to observe that potentiality, it immediately, immediately becomes a point particle and an actual piece of matter that can be measured. It's an abstract example, but it kind of illustrates that at a quantum level, at a very small level, the effect follows cause very, very quickly, almost immediately. At a macro level, there is a lag. The universe needs time to orchestrate in a certain level of complexity the event that would be needed to actually make the balance that is needed occur when we choose actions, certain actions. So let me give you a physical example of this. Okay, and, and this relates, I'm relating this all now, keep in mind, to the word will and to the way will is being used in this example. Okay? Gravity is always in effect in the on the surface of the earth. Okay, we're not talking about out in space someplace. In this realm, on the surface of the earth, gravity is in effect. If I went up to the third floor let's say a roof of a three-story building, and I drop something off of it, you're going to see the effect of gravity, okay? My belief is not required about the operational field of gravity in this instance. I can believe all I want that that object will fall upward or sideways. At this level, Okay, we're not at a quantum level where things behave very strangely. We're at a macro level. This means that there is a much greater tendency for the law to actually have an effect in the expected way and for the ball not to fall up. Okay? Quantum mechanics 
scientists will tell you, oh, there still is a very, 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 very infinitesimally small probability that the ball could fall off upon its release. But in the real world, it doesn't happen. You would probably have to wait for an event that uh, would not come for several lifetimes of the observable universe, okay? So it would be one in such an amount of times that you could repeat it so many times that you'll, you will never see that happen. It, you would have to wait. You would have to wait to see that event, that a total anomaly occur. You know, uh, one time in years that the, a number of years that would outstrip the uh, the life of the universe. So there's no point in even discussing it. It is essentially a zero chance. Okay. So when I talk about natural law principles, this is what I'm talking about. Tendencies for an event to occur based on the free will decisions that we are making. So in this sense, nobody can really be a predictor, a total predictor of the future because free will can always intervene and we can make different choices that change the expected outcome or the probable outcome. And that's what some of us are really, you know, trying to make come about, that we can affect will, affect people's free will, such that we change the trend and we come into accordance with this higher will, with natural law, which is what I'm talking about in this definition of magic. Okay? An abstract idea, to be sure, but if we really try to wrap our minds around this, what we're really talking about is to influence people's minds, hearts, and behaviors to come into greater accordance or harmony with natural law, or in other words, higher moral law, higher perspectives on how to live and treat each other in the world. If we continue to not do this work, to not attempt to bring more people into this way of being. If we continue to ignore capital W will, again, which is natural law and which is there for our betterment, because if we align ourselves with it, we won't ignore something like gravity and step off of a building and plummet to our death because we don't believe gravity exists. Okay, We're so ignorant of the natural law principles that are leading to negative events that we are experiencing. When we are completely ignorant of these principles, we're always going to get a negative result. Always. So if somebody doesn't understand how gravity works and they're over near the edge of a cliff getting ready to go over, they're on the top of a roof, and they're getting ready to walk right over the edge because they don't understand it, they don't know it exists, they don't, have, they don't believe that it exists, any of these reasons. They're not in harmony with natural law, a natural law principle that's in effect whether they believe in it, whether they know it or not, all irrelevant. Someone else might want to influence their actions or behavior by letting them know hey, there's this law in effect called gravity. You step off of there, you're going to experience a very negative consequence. 
I've brought this conundrum up to some people, and people have answered it differently. How would you handle that? If there, were, there was a being a hypothetical situation, they didn't understand that gravity existed. Are you under any responsibility as someone who does understand how it exists to explain it to them? Are you under any responsibility perhaps to even physically stop them from going over the edge in ignorance by whatever means you might have to do it? I have my takes on that. I think from you know, my, my general perspective as I've been giving it over the last few weeks and anyone who has watched my presentations can kind of extrapolate what my view on that is. If you want to call in and, and discuss that, call in numbers 347-884-9417. But to go back to the concept of the will, the will that we're talking about in these two definitions are completely different. The two forms of will. Will, in the definition I gave for magic, the science and art of influencing change to occur in accordance with the will, is the higher will. It is natural law. It is the, essentially the, the laws of how creation works, and not just physical. It is the, the laws that govern what happens to us based on how we think, feel, and act. And there are such laws. They do exist. People understand how that works in the world. There are people who understand those laws. As difficult as... See, see those who will reject that out of hand are locked into that left-brain worldview, that, that worldview of randomness that we talked about. Science, scientism. Okay? Extreme atheism. Extreme... Um, uh, solipsism, the idea that there is no such thing as truth, there is no such thing as natural law. It's all my perceptions, an extreme left-brained way of seeing the world. And you have a whole lot of people in the world who are like that. There are so many people that will re just reject this out of hand. It does not fit into their current imbalanced worldview. The idea of magic is to try to influence people such that they learn from mistakes, they learn from um, perhaps doing some things the wrong way. Maybe they will learn by others who have done things the wrong way that they can observe, and they don't have necessarily have to go through a painful experience by falling off the edge of the cliff or the building, okay? This type of influence is possible if we are willing to do it. What do we need to be willing to, to become a so-called magician or, as I'm going to talk about in a, in a moment, an alchemist? Well, we have to understand natural law. We have to know what kind of energies we're putting out into the world through our consciousness and what that's going to create. So it's, it's an understanding of the laws of cause and effect, or what some people have termed the law of attraction. The understanding that the universe essentially behaves as a mirror, as a reflector for that which is inside of us. That's what this is. 
a large learning experience so that we can learn and grow and that we can change the main universe comes from the Latin unit one and versare which means to change or to turn as in the leaves turned from green to brown they changed they made a change the seasons turned they changed from one season to another to another that's what universe means the one change this is the change that I'm talking about when I'm referring to capital W will we're talking about the higher will of creation in other words the the concept of let not my will be done let thy will be done meaning the higher will and again you, you can call this the will of God I prefer to use the term it's simply the will of creation but these two things are essentially identical and in if you really want to get down to it since this will does not directly intervene it has only set up first principles which are called natural law principles this higher wills desire for us if you will uh, desire isn't even a good word for it really what it wants to create what it, 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 it seeks to the balance that it seeks to achieve is not anything other than our comfort or betterment in other words it's the idea of the Garden of Eden it's the idea of a place that as long as we are acting within the boundaries of these first principles these natural law principles that were put in place by the intelligent underlying force of creation the, the the experience that we will have will be one of abundance harmony peace happiness all the things that people really say they want in life and I emphasize say because they say they want those things but then see it's a conditional statement Re there are requirements attached if you want something it's an if-then statement if you want abundance harmony peace healing happiness etc then you must be prepared to think feel and act according to the will higher will natural law principles that are always in effect that you are always bound by as long as you're in a three dimension in the three-dimensional space-time continuum which if anybody knows how to get out of please let me know okay but as long as you're existing operating in that domain of reality these principles and laws are in effect that govern what happens as a result of certain behaviors people have called this the law of attraction people have called this the law of cause and effect people have called this the, the law of karma it's been given a million different names and one of the best ways it's been summarized as do unto others as you would have done unto you because you're going to experience the effect of what you do eventually see that there is a self um, motive even in that statement if you don't want to have to experience what you do to others in a negative way don't do negative things to other people 
because it, it, it is eventually going to be reflected to you through the process of natural law. That is why we are where we are with respect to consciousness on this planet and with respect to the decaying state of human freedom because it is directly related to the decaying state of human moral alignment with natural law principles. I hope that's explained in a way that you can understand, and uh, I'm going to continue to break down what the science of magic is now, and we'll con compare and contrast this with the science and art of sorcery. So they're both sciences and arts. Magic has a goal, and it has a, a vehicle that it works through. Okay? So again, we have to keep in mind it's a science and art. It's, it's attempting to influence change to occur in accordance with this higher will that, that I, I basically set up over this last half hour and fleshed out. Okay? The goal, the ultimate goal of it is the state of non-dualism. And when I say that, I don't mean everything existing all in one place at one time and nothing being separate from anything else. What I mean is the understanding in consciousness that we are not separate. That the higher aspects of ourselves are all aspects of this one universal creative energy. You can call it God if you want. I don't care. I'm comfortable with that term. Some people don't like that term. Fine. I call it the underlying intelligence, the underlying ordering intelligence that's inherent to the state of creation, of existence, period. It is ordered. It is intelligent. It does direct things and processes here in this three-dimensional realm. Non-dualism is the state that you understand that everything is that one force, is that one thing. You're not separate from it. It's not separate from you. If you're hurting someone else, you're hurting yourself. If you're doing something that is totally selfish, self-serving, in total disregard for other people, you're not really doing anything but bringing harm upon yourself, ultimately. Now, people will say, well, that doesn't always play out in the world like that. No, it doesn't. And there's reasons for that which we'll get into in the weeks to come. The reason that, that, that people don't always, in the short term, experience the consequence of what they're putting out into the world, and I stress in the short term, because they will eventually experience a, a balance created. The reason they don't experience it in, in the short term is because our culture, our society, has become so, um, has been moving so far collectively in the direction against natural law that a small group of individuals has found a way to isolate themselves from these principles for a time. And I call them the sorcerers. We'll, we'll, we'll look into that in a moment. But keep that in mind. That's why people will say, well, this balance that you're talking about and this law of attraction and this uh, having to experience what you do to others why don't we see some people experiencing it immediately? Again, two reasons. There's a time lag sometimes associated 
with what we do and what we experience. And two, natural law principles are being insulated from the general population through mind control, through a small group of people that do understand how these principles work, do not want to experience this balancing, do not want to experience having to receive back the same type of energy or experience that they are doing to others or producing for others. They're through the art of sorcery, through the vehicle of sorcery, which I'll talk about in a moment, they are very, have become very adept at getting others to prevent that, those occurrences of, of, of the universe coming back and balancing the equation, so to speak, by, by making events occur to them that they would have to experience that karmic uh, payback, if you will. And those are all the people who act on behalf of the sorcerers, the manipulators. Okay? These, are, these are their minions, so to speak. They've convinced them to, to isolate themselves from essentially the consequences that they should have to experience. And they do this in hopes of delaying the inevitable. But indeed, it is inevitable. They will experience those consequences sooner or later. The only person that the sorcerer is ultimately really fooling in regards uh, to this is themselves. For any that may be actually listening or people who think that their worldview is a better way to live or be in the world, never going to experience, never going to live that way and actually ex not experience the consequences. At some point, it will catch up to you. Like Johnny Cash said in his song, you could run on for a long time, but sooner or later, God will cut you down. And um, when we talk about it more in-depth sorcery, we'll, we'll, we'll get into uh, a little bit of that and how they create that delaying of the inevitable. But magic's goal is non-dualism. Okay? It's trying to create internal harmony. Non-dualism with oneself is the first key concept to understand about what you need to do to really truly become one who is engaging in the art of magic, in the science and art of magic. To ever influence someone else, you have to really be non-dual with yourself. You have to be willing to do the things that you say you believe in and that you feel are right and that you know are right. So again, becoming a being that as you think, as you feel, so you think, so you feel, so you act, those three are one. They're non-dual. You're not in internal contradiction. You don't say one thing and do another. You don't say you feel one way. Oh, I, I feel that, you know, taxation is theft. It's violence at the point of a gun. It's taking from uh, one person to, to give 
to another, and even though I may not have the right to to take something from somebody without their um, voluntary agreement, uh, I I know that that may be the case deep down inside. You know, I I can reason at that level and understand it, but oh, I have uh, I have financial obligations, so I'll go and join the IRS because they're hiring. Total internal com- uh, contradiction, total internal opposition. Okay? You're in opposition with the self. Um, as an aside, uh, me, me and several friends of mine often talk about parking meter attendants and meter mates. We, we talk about how strange it is that we don't know any and never have met any in our lives. It's almost like where do these people come, at, come from? Where do they come out of? I've asked just about every person that I'm friendly with, do you know any parking meter attendants? Not one person. Not one person I know knows one of them. How many layers of separation do you think there would have to be between finally finding someone who actually knows one of these people? It's an interesting social experiment. Just even ask people around you, who do you know who's a par- who's a, uh, writes parking tickets, who works for the parking authority in your, in your city? And you, I guarantee you'll be hard-pressed to find anybody who even knows any of these people because what I have kind of decided, the, the dynamic that's really taking place with regard to this is they just lie to people because they know no one really likes what they do. They know themselves inside intuitively and even consciously, that what they're doing isn't really right. It isn't really moral, okay? It's a, it's a hassle for other people. It's a, it's, a, it's a parasitic activity is what it is. Now, anybody can come and make the argument that, oh, that's necessary to move cars in traffic. Look, people got along fine before there were parking authorities and metered parking and life went on. We, we don't need people who do that job. Okay? It's, it's a parasitic activity. That's what it is. That's not my opinion of what it is. That's what it is. Okay? And the fact that you can't find anybody who does it, the fact that they will lie about what they do when asked, and they, that is what the case is. It's impossible. The two layers of, separa- of separation, you know, you asking, you not knowing anybody that does it, and then any friend you have, they also don't know anybody that does it. That's next to impossible. Okay? Even if you don't personally know a cop, guaranteed somebody you know knows a cop. But nobody I ever spoke to and asked knows a person personally who, who admits to being a parking meter attendant. Okay? So this goes to the concept of non-dualism. The person deep inside is so embarrassed of what they do for a living that they won't even admit that that's what they do for a living to other people. So they try to stay shielded from what other people will think about them. And it's largely because they are in internal dualism. They're in opposition with the self. It's cognitive dissonance. They know that what they're really doing isn't right. No one likes it. No one appreciates it. 
no one would really want to be around them if they know they do this and continue to do it. Like, if you suddenly found out that someone that was a friend of a friend that you were hanging out with for a long time was a parking meter, uh, a ticket writer, okay, they worked for, let's say, the parking authority in your city, would you continue to go out and have drinks with that person in a, in a totally, in the same cordial way that you, that you would, that you were doing previously? Or would there be tension there? And be honest with yourself. Like, don't, don't be thinking that, you know, you're going to treat them like the Buddha would treat them or something. Because, seriously, most people don't appreciate people's activity like that. They know that what they're doing is parasitic. You know. And you would, to be honest, treat them at least somewhat differently if you would want to hang out with them at all. And they know that. So this, per, that, this example, I think, perfectly illustrates the notion of dualism within a person. They wouldn't be willing to lie about what they do so that other people wouldn't find out and treat them differently if they didn't instinctively, intuitively know that what they're doing is parasitic and wrong. So that's the concept of dualism and an illustration of it. Now, what magic is trying to create is non-dualism. Again, somebody who knows what's right, feels a certain way about something, and then acts in that capacity. They don't give any justifications. They don't say, well, I had to do this, or I had that bill to pay, or I had to take care of this person. There's no justifications in, in a, in a non-dual understanding. If, if you understand something to be right, and that's how you feel about it, you, your action is in accordance with it, in harmony with it. Period. The end. There is no but. Okay? You know, I, well, I know that, but there is no but. You know it, you feel it, you do it. The end. That's non-dualism. Okay? Now, from that state, all right, to, to achieve that state, there is a, there is a vehicle or a, a science within magic. And this is known as alchemy. Now, again, people have heard of alchemy through uh, stories or you know, reading about it. And they have a vision in their mind of what an alchemist is. Maybe some science, mad scientist gone awry who's trying to take uh, metals that are essentially worthless, they're non-precious metals, and turn them into precious metals like silver or gold. Now, this is an allegory. Okay? An allegory is a tale told to um, really reflect a moral lesson, to, to teach a moral understanding or a moral principle. That allegory is A-L-L-E-G-O-R-Y. Very critical word to understand what it means. An allegory, a tale or story told to illustrate a moral principle, okay, like a parable kind of. In actuality, an alchemist is actually someone who is taking base consciousness and transmuting it or, or influencing it upward to a higher moral level of consciousness. That's what the whole cover story of a, a mad scientist turning uh, 
lead into gold is about. It's a spiritual teacher that is attempting to turn base consciousness or lead consciousness, heavy, low-weighted consciousness, bogged down with attachment and untruths, you know, and uh, self-interest, and to elevate that, to, to, to precipitate that upward, okay, until you get higher form of consciousness, gold, light, you're getting lighter consciousness from it. So this is what alchemy really is. You know, it, 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 it can be used to describe this transmutation of metals, but what the allegory that it is telling is really about is the transmutation of the spirit. It's the transmutation of the mind and heart of someone who is trapped in lower states of consciousness and illusion. That's what the alchemist helps facilitate. Now again, he only influences that process. He doesn't do that work himself. Who does that work? The person whose consciousness is being changed does that work themselves. The alchemist can only influence them. He could never change their consciousness for them. He can be an influence through his writings, through his words, through his actions, through his courage, through his commitment, through his dedication, through his study. But he can't actually make a person change. That's not possible. The person has to have some form of internal will left within them to want to change. The desire has to be present. That's the spark that ignites the fire that the alchemist helps helps tender, okay? The alchemist helps to raise that, that spark to a higher flame. Helps. Key word. Okay? He doesn't do it himself. He influences it, like in the definition of magic. Influencing change to occur. And the alchemist influences that change to occur in accordance with higher will. Now, the sorcerer plays the exact opposite role. Sorcery is the science and art of influencing change to occur in accordance with the will, lowercase w, meaning the ego, egoic, the ego-driven will, the selfish, manipulative will of the sorcerer himself. This is not the higher will in harmony with natural law principles. This is the lower will that says, let my will be done. I don't care about what's right. I don't care about higher morals. I don't care about natural law principles. I don't care about the law of cause and effect and what it will bring down upon me or other people that I influence. All I care about is my self, my objectives, my aims in the current moment. That's it. So that's what the sorcerer is. The sorcerer's goal and this is also critical, is to do the exact opposite of the magician, the true magician. The sorcerer's goal is to create internal and external opposition. It is to create disharmony within and without. It's to tear someone apart from within themselves 
to get them to go against what they intuitively know is right. To ignore their conscience, in other words, and to take actions that they know are morally wrong because they're so focused on the moment, they're so focused on the benefits that they will reap, that only they themselves will reap, that they don't care. They, they, they've cremated their own care. Okay? They've burned it away. Because as long as I'm getting mine out of this, who cares what it's going to do to somebody else? I'm in it for me. That's it. Somebody like that is ruled by, and I, I, I talk about this, this word and this energy, this, this, this force, is ruled by the force known as shatan. And this is a Hebrew word that means the adversary or the one who opposes, the one who brings opposition. And what, what Satan is bringing opposition to is the self. It is destroying someone from within such that they become a person who isn't one who, as they think, so they feel, so they act. See, they, they know, they may know what's right, or they may feel that this is intuitively not the right way to, to be living, but they do it anyway. Okay? I know that this is wrong. I know that I, I, I have a bad feeling about this. I, I intuitively, instinct, instinctual, instinctually understand that what I'm doing may not be the right thing, but I'm going to take that action anyway because I'm too fearful about what not doing it might mean. That's being ruled by that force that I referred to as Satan, which is internal opposition, the adversary, the one who rips one apart from within. Okay? That's what the sorcerer, keep that in mind, that is what the sorcerer is ever trying to create in the world. And if they can get people to do that internally, they're creating a world of opposition where whole nations are willing to rip each other apart in acts of human sacrifice called war. Okay? The way that they do this, and indeed the only way they can do this, because just like the alchemist cannot make someone change and do the true will, act in accordance with the true will, natural law principles. The sorcerer cannot make physically a person act in opposition with themselves. They have to use the vehicle of illusion and manipulation. Manipulating people through the propagation of illusion and lies. Deception, in other words. Manipulation, deception, the propagation of poisonous worldviews, the, the reinforcement of poisonous worldviews through media, manipulation of the, the mind and body through, through media, through food, through, through the worldviews that are put out there for people's consideration. This is what the sorcerer ever seeks to do. Okay? And again, as I said in the Fed speech that I gave, at the end of the Fed speech that I gave. You can call this by any other name that you want, but I call it what it really is, mind control. Mind control 
through manipulation and the propagation of illusion is the main tool of sorcery. That is the vehicle for the propagation of sorcery. So got about a minute, a little less than a minute left in this program, so I'll wrap it up. Um, I think we covered a lot of ground tonight. And uh, next week we'll go into the barriers to self-realization. I'll, I'll recap on magic and sorcery. We'll, we'll discuss the barriers to true self-realization. And um, uh, I guess that's all for today. I'll see you here uh, next Tuesday, uh, same time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. My website is whatonearthishappening.com. And you're listening here on revolutionbroadcasting.com. I'm Mark Passio. I'll see you here next week. Thank you.